Pastor. Even church. Am I on? Yeah, I'm on. Cool. So this is quite the honor to be up here and very humbling. The the difference in the feel of being in the main body with you guys as opposed to with the youth. It's just a different feel. Coming out of right out of corporate worship and being able to stand up here and share the word. It's just it's very unique. And I will say just from the last week and a half of prepping and stuff. I have a lot more respect for this man right here and for Pastor Mike and Pastor Frank. <clears throat> so let's, let's open up in prayer tonight. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together and learn about what you have for us. Thank you for giving us the word so that we have a guidebook to go back to over and over and again as we seek truth in a time where truth is fleeting. Lord, open our ears to hear and challenge us to view our lives through the filter of your words. Father, bless our time together as we fellowship afterwards. We praise you, Lord, for this opportunity to worship you and learn publicly, freely. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we're going to be speaking about one of the parables that Jesus gave. Jesus loved to tell stories to us because he made it really relevant because let's be realistic, we're often not that bright, right? So today's parable is the parable of the unforgiving servant. So we're gonna read out of Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? as many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife and his children, and all that he had for payments to be made. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring him, saying, Have patience on me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We're going to come back to that passage multiple times through tonight. But really quick to unpack. So we have the king, wealthy, in control, right? He's giving faith to people. He's lending them money. Whatever their ends are, whether it's for business, whether it's for investments, whatever it was, he was generous enough to lend. One talent, okay, is, is quite a bit of money. 
that many talents, 10,000 talents, comes out to roughly 60 million days labor of the time. It's a lot of money, right? He was owed wages, the king was owed wages to almost an insurmountable debt. Second servant owed the first guy about 100 days wages. Still a lot, not nothing. But nothing compared to what the first man owed. So I, I kind of like to, to just give a little bit more of an alliteration here. Imagine that if the bank called me today and said, Jay, your mortgage is forgiven. I would dance. I would shout for joy. It would be an amazing thing. I'd be like, yes, this is great, right? And then I go to one of the guys that work for me who I let have a dollar to get a cup of coffee, and I'm like, hey, give me that dollar back. And they're like, well, Jay, I don't have it. I'm like, you're fired. That's almost on par to the level of difference between these two things. It's a lot. How would we describe the king? He's generous. He's fair. He's loving. He's forgiving. How do you not have forgiveness on somebody when they fall to their knees in front of you and ask, and with desperation in their eyes say, hey, I, don't, I can't do this. Similar to how we do with the father. Now, how would you describe that first servant? Really lucky at first, but shows his hand. And we'll come back to that. I want to talk about the last couple of months here. And yes, it's a recap. And yes, you've all been here, so you know. But we started out with a call to consecration. We were challenged to fast and to pray and to come forward and say, hey, how do I do life differently? What part of me does not align with what you have for me, what your will is for me? Which pieces of my life need to change? What do I need to give up to serve you better and to live a life that's reflective of who you are? We then all started to labor together for JYTF. And God showed up. He took people with talent, people with less talent, people with no talent, maybe in some cases. <laughs> and he put us all together as a church to labor together. And I don't know what the final count turned out to be, but a whole bunch of people met Jesus. And that's amazing because it shows us that not only do we have the ability to go to him and he'll show us through the Holy Spirit things in our lives that need to change, but he'll use us wherever we are in that moment to make an impact on the next person. Not because of our talents, not because of our gifts, although he'll use those, but he'll take our willingness. We keep going. We took the youth to Spruce Lake. We talked about King David, the woman at the well, the Apostle Paul, and who God said they were. Not who they felt like they were, not who other people said that they were, but who God said that they were and unfolded their purpose and their plan. So much so that their stories are chronicled in the Bible for us to learn from. Last six weeks, repentance. God has shown us through his spirit the different things that we need to change and he's given us the ability to say, hey, Lord, forgive me again and again. We then, kind of to wrap up this recap, 
We've been studying uh, a series that's on TikTok, which is a possibly communist spy app. I wouldn't recommend it going on your phone, but it's real popular, right? People spend way too much time scrolling through absolute nonsense, but what we talked about is that how do we deal with challenges from a spiritual lens? How do we look at life differently? How do we discern what's real versus what's fake and what's put out for us to believe is real? It's hard. It's hard to see through a lens that's spiritual in a world that tries to shove the carnal down our throats. Ultimately, we talked about how does our outward image reflect Christ. And that's where we're going to head to now. God has shown us provision. He's shown us protection this spring in a lot of ways. And he showed that he's radically moving in our hearts as a church. So I bring up everything that's happened over the last couple of months in a little snapshot because I'm going to ask you a question. What are we doing with the forgiveness and the redemption and the grace and the mercy that God's given us? What are we doing today, right now, this evening, today at work, yesterday at work, tomorrow at work? What are we doing with this change? Are we just grateful and then sitting down? Or are we taking what God has given us, what he's shown us, what he's revealed to us, and are we putting it to the work that he's intending us to use it for? It's awesome for me if God heals and forgives and changes me. But he doesn't want us to sit there. He doesn't want us to wait. So where is the Holy Spirit leading you? It's called a Christian walk, not a Christian arrival point. We don't sit there once God saves us and that's it and we punch our ticket. He says, this is the start of the journey and it ends when you cross the glory. You have so much to do. We have so much to do. And the words that were spoken just a few minutes ago about mercy and about distractions, it, it, was, it was good for me because I'm not going to lie to you guys, I was shaking on my booth sitting in the chair before coming up and talking to you. <laughs> I don't know why, but it was. But it confirmed what God has put in my heart for tonight. What are we doing? What are we striving for? It's a process. We have to be open to listen. We have to. We have to challenge ourselves in those weak moments. God's given us gifts. He's given us gifts. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've come through. He's given you a gift. He's given you multiple gifts. Don't waste them. We're going to flip back to our text. Matthew 18, 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, choked him, saying, pay me what you owe. That's a rough spot, man. As a Christian, knowing that that parable is for us, that's a rough spot. That's spitting in the face of God's mercy. I will say that I have never done everything correctly in my life, and I'm sure I'll make plenty of mistakes between here and the other side. I don't want that. I don't want that. <laughs> and we shouldn't, right? We shouldn't want that. In light of what God has done and is doing in our lives, do our words and our actions and our deeds completely represent the change God started in us? You guys probably will not like me by the time this is over tonight, and that's okay. <laughs> I don't mind. The first man barely lets the tears and sweat dry from his forgiveness before he completely forgets. Or he didn't care and it was manipulation. How many times do we deal with that? 
We deal with people that manipulate based on feelings. We assume we're doing the right thing and we're just getting played. Right? What are we doing? Are we holding out? Are there areas of our lives that we are holding out and we're saying are fine, but aren't? Are we going to work? Are we going to school? Are we going to social gatherings? Are we out in the community? Or are we at kids' events? And we're just pretending for a couple minutes that maybe we're not a Christian. Maybe not even intentionally, but our, is our testimony, is our actions, is our countenance. Showing who we are and what God has done for us. Are we still holding on to stuff? If so, I'm going to ask you why. And I'll ask myself, why? Why is there times where I miss that opportunity? And it's because the change in me is not great enough to overcome the fear of what others think. Another spot I don't want to be in is for God to be like, hey, I had a work for you to do, but instead you chose the opinions of others over what I've given you to do. Another reason why we have that is because the enemy is trying to take us out. If this season hasn't taught us anything, it's that the devil is not happy that this church is undergoing a dramatic change. I'll give you a great example. An hour before we got here, my dog got out, tore off down the street, and I had to find out that I actually still can sprint, which was great. I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow, I'm going to be honest with you. But the devil is trying to disrupt us. He's trying to distract us. He's trying to take you out. He's trying to attack the head, to scatter the flock. Do not be naive. While the devil is defeated, he's not taking that defeat easily. Nor shall he, and we can see it every day as they attack our kids, as they attack our homes, as they attack our religious liberties and freedoms, they are not going to go away quietly, so neither should we. We have areas in our life that still are not in line with Jesus, right? They're still flesh. We have a sin nature. It's a walk. Romans 7, 21 to 25, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person, but I see a different law in parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, the law which is in my body parts. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then, on one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. This is the Apostle Paul's words. He is recognizing in his ministry that there is a war inside of him. Why are we different? Don't sleep. Whatever you do, don't sleep. This is a war. This will be a war until Jesus comes and ultimately puts everything right. Don't sleep. How are we treating those that are seeking Jesus? Do we so quickly forget about what God has forgiven us from that we now judge the people that walk into the church or the people we see? 
do we forget the grace that's been extended to us, the mercy that's been given us? We all fall, at least to some extent, slightly guilty of this. I don't care who you are. I don't care what stage of your walk with Christ you're in. There are things that we are going to catch ourselves doing. Oh, I can't believe they're doing that. Man, we did that. Or worse. Right? What does it say about us? Gucci talked about the hospital for the sick last week. For those of you who are here, if you haven't, you should listen to it. We should be doing exactly what Jesus did. He went to the people that needed to hear the message. Now, don't call things that are sin good, right? We don't have to follow the world's narrative. We want to be in the world but not of the world. We want to guard our hearts and our minds, right? We have to be cautious about where we go, especially if it was a weak point for us, specifically if we're by ourselves. But God said, go and make disciples of all men. He gave us all authority in Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to follow all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go make disciples. What does that mean? Does that mean that you have to be an evangelist? No, God's called us to different things. But your countenance, your words, your actions, your, the things that we do and say have impact. Peace in the middle of the storm. I love the reference of bison versus cows. If, I don't know, probably a lot of you guys have heard this, but if there's a storm coming, cows, I love steak, but cows are stupid. <laughs> storm comes across, where do the cows go? They go that way. Storm's following them. They basically stay in the storm. What do bison do? They go right through. They go right into it. They head face first into it. They get out quicker. It's rough, but it's not prolonged. Our countenance matters. We're going to take it a little bit more challenging. How are we treating the body of Christ? How are we treating each other? Do we sit here and prayerfully gossip? <laughs> Y'all are laughing, half of you nervously. <laughs> but do we prayerfully gossip? Do we share about a problem that somebody else is having and we got to pray for them? Just pray for them. Just pray for them. Hey, I'm going to pray for you. Don't just say it. Do it. Are we treating the body of Christ better than we treat the world? Are we holding each other up? Are we extending the love and the mercy that God has commanded us to do? Or are we doing the opposite? Are we beating on people that are close to us because we're distracted, because we're stressed, because we're tired? In Philippians 4, 5, it says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. Are we treating our fellow Christians, regardless of if they sit in this room, 
other churches, other denominations, people we know are treating them with the love of Christ. We're here to lift each other up. We're here to support each other. When we're wounded, we're here to carry the weight, the burdens. But we shoot our own. I'm not saying you have to be a doormat either, by the way. There's wisdom on how we deal with people. We have to make sure that we continue to read the word of God and learn about what we are and are not supposed to do. We need to let the Holy Spirit, which is just an amazing gift that was given to us, speak to us. But we have to help each other more. We have to love each other more. We have to call and check on each other more. And don't just text. Call them. Colossians 3, 12 to 14, Paul talks about the treatment of others. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. If I'm tired, if I'm fatigued, and somebody comes beside me and encourages me, that lifts me up past my weak point. But why don't we do it? Because we're focused on us. Heads down, eyes on phone, got to get out of here, got to go here, 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 here. Oh, I got to call that person, but I have so many things that I am occupied with. If God puts somebody on your heart to reach to, reach to, even if they don't get back to you. If they don't get back to you, who cares? That might be what they need to see on their phones. That might need to be the voicemail that they hear that takes them through a real, real low point. God gave us the body of Christ to edify each other and to lift each other up. Your countenance matters in here too. If you're walking around with an air of pride or you're walking around with a smugness or anger or whatever it is, people feel that. People see that. That's not what Christ wants. Extend love. Make the body stronger because the days are dark, but God is good and he's given us each other. We're going to go back to this parable here because, like I said, that, that first servant, he's in for a rough go. Matthew 28, 32. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not, or and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So I'm going to challenge a little bit before we start to bring this into a landing. I'm going to challenge you. Ask the Holy Spirit to expose things that you're holding in your heart, hardened against believers and non-believers. That bitterness is wicked because it destroys who you were meant to be. You cannot give your all to someone and show them the love of Christ if you're holding on to something that they did years ago. You can't do it. You have to go to the cross. It's why when we were supposed to go to the temple for forgiveness that you talk about in the Old Testament, they had to go and make things right before they offered their sacrifices to God because it would affect how they approached the throne. That doesn't change for us today. It doesn't. If anything, we should be more encouraged that God already told us we needed to do that. 
There's no gray area there, guys. There's no gray area. We need to show each other love. We need to put aside the things that divide us and let God continue to bind us together. It's not about you. It's about him. You're wronged. So what? Get over it. Go to God. He'll help you through it. Go to them. Ask for forgiveness or extend forgiveness. He'll do the rest. As a king, God is generous to those who call him father and come before him and ask. In that parable, notice the men went on their knees to ask for forgiveness of their debts. If you need God to do something radical in your life, he'll meet you there. But you got to go to him. And you got to go from a position of who he is, which is everything. He extends mercy and forgiveness because Jesus paid for it on the cross. His death, burial, resurrection gives us everything that we need to go to for forgiveness, for restoration, for healing. He'll show us the areas in our life where we're weak. He provided the way through. As the first servant, do we mirror our Savior or do we just go back to our old ways? Recognize that in your life. Recognize where you need to change how you reflect the nature of God. Don't do it from a sense of falseness. Don't pretend to be something we're not. Think about how God views the Pharisees. Jesus calls them the whitewashed tombs, dead on the inside, look great on the outside. Do you know how quickly people see through that? Do you know why so many people don't want to go to church? Because they view people as hypocrites? Because at the end of the day, they're saying that they are better than them and they are worse in so many ways. Don't make it false. God wants an authentic relationship with us. He wants to authentically change the way that we do everything so that it lines up with his words, his actions, his deeds. When he does that, everybody will know because you won't be the same person. If we look at who we were before God radically intervened in our lives, we were much different and not for the better. Everybody's like, yeah, yep, I know that person. Yeah, it wasn't good. People will see that change. If we still have areas where we're holding back from allowing God to touch us and change us, or if there's area of our lives where we don't want people to know we're a Christian, I'm going to ask you why. And ask God why. Ask him why we're not willing to allow him to own that part of our life. What are we holding on to? Do we think we can do it better? Nope. Sure can't. So if we can't do it better than God, if we realistically, I mean, I don't care how proud or arrogant you are, nobody has it together, just in case you didn't know that, newsflash. Nobody knows what they're doing. We don't. God knows that's it. Period. End of story. Right? The rest of us are just going through life trying to not make a mess of things and to follow God and let him show us how to not make a bigger mess of things than we already did, and he fixes it. If you need to seek God's face for this, get on your knees. Get in your quiet spot. If you still don't know, ask somebody who you trust. Go to the Word. Search. It's there. 
He gave us the map. He gave us the playbook. If you're viewing people with judgment, do not forget that God has redeemed and forgiven you. We need to bring a bigger urgency to sharing the love of Christ to others. No man is promised tomorrow. Right? Right? So why are we waiting to tell somebody about Jesus? Because they may not be here tomorrow to tell. Why are we holding on to the slight petty nonsense that we have against someone when really that petty nonsense would be gone if they simply put their lives in Jesus' hands, but they don't know enough to do that because we're too busy holding on them to tell them. Don't harbor unforgiveness. Just don't. It's rotten. It'll destroy you. It'll take and suck the life and the joy right out of you. Don't let our stress and anxiety pour out on those around us that we love. We're comfortable with those that are around us so they become cannon fodder when we blow up. And I'm saying that from experience. I got five kids, man. There's days, guys. (laughs) There's days. And I know a lot of your kids, so I'm sure there's days. Don't allow the stress and the anxiety of the day to impact how we treat others. God loves you. He loves you so much. He's willing to give everything to get you to where you need to go if you will simply just put yourself out of the picture and go to him. There's no tricks. There's no penance. It's God, I need you change every single weak part of who I am replace it with you and then embolden me to step out of my comfort zone and go share the love that you so graciously gave to me with others and stop holding back God's got big stuff for this church this is a time of revival the church is growing not shrinking I don't care what everybody says Yeah, the media is bad. God doesn't care. Because he gave the army the charge to go and make disciples of all people. Stand bold and stand firm and let God work through us. Amen. Oh, what a good word. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we thank you for what you spoke to Jay's heart so that it can touch our hearts tonight. And Father, we want to be the type of servant that doesn't incite you to bring judgment against us, but we want to be the type of servant that is pleasing in your sight. So Father, in all these areas where we need to make adjustments and we need to find repentance where we need to find boldness and forgiveness. God, do a work in our hearts. Father, don't let us walk out of here and forget what was said and just go back into the routine of our lives and the busyness and the distractions. Father, give us a moment of pause and Father, even don't let us sleep until we make things right with you and others. 
the time is short and the stakes are high. There's no time to waste. So help us to be as your son was as he walked to earth about our father's business. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Come on, let's give God praise tonight.